Trouble, 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 fly away. Something for that hungry look. Look up, stick your finger in the dumpling. Get your trouble with the cook. Let the rain pour down. Let the cold wind blow. Gonna stay right here in the home. Trouble, 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 fly away. Have the trouble with the weaver. Everything like that. Look up, got the cotton full of beaver. Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands! Battle station! This is Captain Kirk. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle stations. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to Two True Freaks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. This is Star Trek Monthly Mondays, number 15, and I am Scott Gardner. And I'm Chris Honeywell, and we're Two True Freaks. We know you're rooting for us, but now we got to go. <laughs> what is that? We're two true freaks. We hope you like the show. We know you're rooting for us, but now we got to go. As soon as <laughs> we need to make, that I noticed the last couple of sh- couple of shows you've added. I hope you like the show to the beginning yep. of the show, and that's immediately that's and that was the gag in that cartoon is it kept doing it over and over again. So it was, yep. was the same with me. It was just all of a sudden that song just like jumped into my head. Oh, you can t- tell we're we're children of Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, hell yeah. yeah, that one they used to play that one a zillion times. Oh my god! Well, let me see. What do we got right out of the shoot here for uh, for Star Trek Monthly Monday? Yeah, we, we got a full month. 
we got comics. Uh, the next we've just recently added the next generation. Show, show's gotten that much meatier. I I haven't read. Um, I I'll, I'll do a longer thing probably when we get closer to Trouble with Tribbles. But I just read two David Gerald books. I just I've had them for a while, but I just read them back to back. Is I think one of them's just like the making of Star Trek, and the other one was uh, on the Trouble with Tribbles. All right. Well, your your assignment then is I want you to do some Oprah book clubs and, oh, okay. and help pick up that slack because. I, I'm having trouble doing both a Star Wars and a Star Trek yeah. book, both you know, in, in you know a new one each month. So you can help me out with that if you if now, you do some uh, in, Star Trek in 2000. And what is it? Thir- when are you gonna? Is Orca going to retire at the same time as uh, Oprah? We'll we'll see. We'll see how that works out. We'll, and we'll, we'll and you've to... heard who Oprah's successor is, haven't you? Oh no, I have he, not. He announced that he plans to be her successor. Oh god, is it Dr. Phil? Oh, even better. It's Snoop Doggy Dog. <laughs> You're shit. No, I, I shit you not. Oh my god. Oh god, I don't even want to talk about it. What I do want to talk about though is our our listeners are awesome. They love us and I love them. I got a Christmas present from one of our listeners, and it's freaking cool. Our uh, our good buddy Mike Petit, published Star Trek author Mike Petit, Biblio Mike on the forum, he sent me a really cool Christmas present. It's called Memories of the Future. This is by Will Wheaton. I think he might have talked about this on the show the last time we had him. On. I'm not sure. I, I I know I've talked to him about it. I can't remember if we actually spoke about it on on an actual show or not. But anyway, what this is, is uh, it's going from Encounter at Farpoint to the episode Data Lore in the first season of Next Gen. And it's just like uh, an irreverent, kind of snarky, very humorous um, recaps, you know, like like summaries. Yeah, well, it's 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 sort of a mix. It's a mix of a review. A, it's basically it's a summary slash review slash memoir slash behind the scene slash. You know, I well, bet that you sounds know awesome. This. It is really really cool. I'm I'm about halfway through it already, and I'm really digging it. It's very very funny. He he has a very strange, a very dry and a very um, he's almost got like that uh, like that Dennis Miller thing going on, you know, where he'll make very obscure references right. and, I, and I get about nine tenths of them, but every once in a while there'll be one where I'm like, I don't know what the hell he's talking about with that, but the one that was really funny is uh, he made a reference in, I'll never be able to find it now, but he, he made a reference in one of these uh, reviews I was reading and he, the he mentioned a name, Ed Gruberman. And I was like, fuck, I know that name, Ed Gruberman, Ed Gruberman. And it finally hit me. It's from that comedy skit. Did you ever hear uh, Boot to the Head? Uh, sir. Sir. Oh, oh, sir. Who disturbs our meditation as a pebble disturbs the stillness of the pond? Me. Ed Gruberman? Yes, 
He's the guy that keeps interrupting the sensei. No disrespect or nothing, but like, uh, how long is this going to take? Taekwon Leap is not a path to a door, but a road leading forever towards the horizon. So like, what, an hour or so? <laughs> no, no, we have not even begun upon the path. Ed Gruberman, you must learn patience. Yeah, 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 patience. How long will that take? And he references, you know, Will Wheaton references that in this. I mean, how many people would get that reference? But I got it. And when I got it, it was that much funnier. So that's the kind of humor that's in this book. It's very, uh, you know, very on the fringe like that. But uh, I'm getting a real kick out of it. I think it's it's a lot of fun. I really like the, uh, you know, the fact that he understands why people don't like Wesley Crusher. And I'm one of those people. But I'm, I'm very easily able to separate you know Wesley Crusher from from Will Wheaton so it's a lot of fun yeah it's a lot of fun when the actor himself realizes exactly why people don't you know dig that character very much but he also he gives a lot of insights into how he was feeling at the time as a kid you know being on the set with all these people gives a lot of you know behind the scenes stuff on what was going on and, you know, he also, he's not afraid to take some shots and say, you know, what the hell were the writers thinking? Or, you know, why did they do this? Or, Jesus, I wish they had dressed me better and not on these stupid sweaters. And so it's a lot of fun. I really am getting a kick out of the book and, uh, and just wanted to say thanks to, uh, to Biblio Mike for sending me this. Yeah. I, you know, when he told me about it, I was only lukewarm to the idea. I was like, nah, I don't know if I'd like something like that. And I was also a little bit nervous because, you know, you and I are just now starting our next gen reviews and i didn't want to you be don't tainted. want to taint it yeah but thankfully the, the approach that wheaton's taken with this is so very different from the approach that you and i are taking that i i don't think that there's any you know there's any chance of being contaminated or any chance of being accused of all you just you know, yeah you know you swipe that from wheaton or whatever so far the only thing that i've i've seen that came up is in the episode that we're going to talk about today he references... Um, uh-huh, something that we... Yeah, yeah, well, something I was thinking of, which is, you know, the, the black leader of the group in that in that episode has always reminded me of the 7-Up guy. Yeah. And he says the same thing in there. But, you know, you and I were talking about this off-air, and it's like, it's pretty easy to make that connection because they are very similar characters. So, you know, I, I don't think, even if I... Yeah, made it's that hands-on-the-hip jolly green giant stance and going ha 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 throwing your head back and laughing heartily exactly i'd like i'd like to also take this opportunity i should thank mike although i didn't get a star trek book so it's not really in context here but he sent me the screenplay illustrated screenplay to irobot but written by harlan ellison so it was never made so that's going to be really cool i can't wait to dive into that Cool. I've got another book I'm about halfway through that is terrible, but I have to read it. It's it's one of those things. You'll hear well, about is, that later. <laughs> this will probably shock the hell out of people, but this this book that Mike sent me actually displaced the next Star Trek book Ooh. I was going to read. And as soon as I'm done with this Will Wheaton book, I, I will be picking that book up and reading it, and eventually I'll, I'll review it here on the show. And this, this is the part that may surprise people. It is the Alan Dean Foster adaptation of the J.J. Abrams movie. I really oh. want to read that book. Alan Dean Foster, come on. Yeah. I mean, I scored it recently for two bucks. 
And I thought, you know, I love Alan Dean Foster. He might... loves Star Trek. I'm only so-so on the new movie, but I got to read it. He so. could, he could, if hopefully he'll make some sense, he'll put some sense into the story, you know. <laughs> My guess is it'll be a good chunk of uh, some of the story that we saw in that, that IDW comic that came out before it with the next generation right. characters and Spock in it. Right. So you'll get some of that to, to, to flesh it out a little more. Well, you know, speaking of that, that you, you just reminded me, and I, I don't want to tangent us. I know that we have this kind of laid out in a, in a certain time frame, so I don't want to take up too much time with this. But we mentioned last time around on Star Trek Monthly Monday that uh, that I had, or was it Star Trek Monthly Monday? I can't remember. One of our recent episodes, you know, the, the mention came up that uh, that I had rewatched the Abrams movie. You know, I, I rented it when it came out on DVD here not long ago. And rewatched it, and we had promised to kind of talk about it a little bit. And uh, wow, that could be that could be a whole episode almost. But I just want to throw it out there that I did rewatch it um, when it came out on DVD. I liked it a lot better the second time around. Am I a fan now? No. Am I you know? Am I totally a hundred percent on board with the whole reboot thing? No. But I, I liked it a lot better the second time around, and you know I found things to enjoy about it. I, I wasn't so harsh and critical about it the second time around, and uh, I have to admit I'm a little bit disappointed that I didn't get a copy of it for Christmas. I was really hoping that somebody uh, in my family or somebody would, would snag me a copy, and you know that that'd be one of my Christmas presents because I was actually looking it'll forward be to everywhere. watching it the time. But yeah, I, I'll get it. I'll get a copy eventually. But uh, it'll be in every supermarket in the world for years. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that, to, you know, because I, I, I took, I feel like I took a lot of heat from people, you know, that that did dig the new movie, that that really got into it and everything, that that I was as harsh about it in our review episode as I was, and I feel like maybe I was a little bit, a little bit too harsh. <laughs> There, there were things that that were really enjoyable, and there were things that I really liked about it. It's just overall, my main sticking point is still that I, I wish they hadn't rebooted. I wish that they had just somehow managed to be a continuation and, and keep the original uh, continuity and all that. That's still my main sticking point. However, you know, I was able to table what that. What can you do? Yeah. yeah you know? <laughs> there are and, things uh, that are out of your control, man. So, you know, it's almost like it's like Star Wars prequel syndrome. You know, is it the story that I wanted to see? No. Is there stuff to love and enjoy and, and embrace in it? Hell yeah. I mean, there, there, it, it is a hell of a lot of fun. It is a, a good, fun movie, you know, in a, in a popcorn, eye candy kind of way. And man, that score by, uh, by Giacchino just grows on me all the time. I really, really like the score. And, you know, a good, a good movie score will, you know, uh, what's the expression? Uh, cure a multitude of sins. In my book, it will. So that that helps it a lot. So yeah, I just wanted to throw throw it out there that you know, I'm not all hate, bile and vinegar about the the new Star Trek. Well, that's okay because you can hop right back into some Star Trek TOS, <laughs> the original series. There we go. For some Kirk food. <laughs> People talking in movie shows, people smoking in bed, 
people voting Republican. Give them a boot to the head. Boot to the head! Fix a car, politicians who can't think, the salesman who won't leave me alone, the waiter who forgot my drink. Jackson is dead. Captain Kirk, there is a curse on your ship. Temperature, sir. It keeps rising. We're burning up, sir. So this time around, we are reviewing the original series episode, number 30, called Cat's Paw. Now, this is the uh, first episode of the second season, first appearance of Pavel Chekhov, which I thought was pretty cool. I couldn't I couldn't exactly remember when I started watching this episode if this was... I, I kept thinking... I knew it was early because yeah. he was still in his wig phase. They had Davey him in a... Jones. They had yeah. him in a wig for a while until his hair grew into the Chekhov hair. Yeah. And it was obvious. And when I saw it, it was just like, oh, well, <laughs> yes, this is yeah. wig phase Chekhov. I had, to, I had to look it up because I, I thought it was the first one with Chekhov, but I couldn't exactly remember. So, yeah, sure enough, first it, Chekhov it, episode. It looks like someone held down Mo Howard and shaved him and glued it onto Koenig's head. <laughs> I, I always thought that it was specifically supposed to look like Davy Jones because he really looks like yeah, him. or Beetley, yeah, youth, yeah, youth culturey. Yep. Now, I'm taking my uh, synopsis from this one straight out of my edition of Alan Asherman's Star Trek Compendium. I don't know what edition mine is. I know it's a very old edition. Which, if you are listening to this podcast. You should have that on your bookshelf. It's a Absolutely. great reference. Man, I've been seeing these all over eBay for dirt freaking cheap. Yeah. I don't have a copy of these, um, either this one or the uh, the Star Trek The Next Generation one is actually called a companion, not a compendium. Uh, but you can, you 
can get them cheap and they're great. See, that's that's the difference. Is the next generation one is more touchy feely. It's your com- <laughs> it's your companion. You're a plastic pal who's fun to be with. <laughs> All right, so here's the skinny on this particular episode, written by uh, Robert Block, by the way, yes. the writer of Psycho. Okay, so this one on the planet Pyrus Seven, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy encounter three witches. These are the uh, where we get the uh, Captain Kirk thing from. Remember the curse. <laughs> They encounter three witches, a castle, and crewmen Sulu and Scott, who have been transformed into zombies. See, it always comes back to zombies. Uh, aliens Korob and Sylvia are responsible for the trick-or-treat trappings, using black cats, magic wands, and evil spells to terrify the Enterprise crewmen. Only Spock is unaffected by the scare tactics. The aliens are on a mission of conquest and have used a transmuter device to assume human form. Sylvia, affected by her new body, tries to ensnare Kirk into becoming her partner and lover. When Korob aids Kirk and company to escape, Sylvia changes into a gigantic black cat and crushes uh, and crushes him. Kirk destroys the quote magic wand transmuter device, causing the castle to vanish and Korob and Sylvia to resume their actual alien shapes. They are, in reality, fragile creatures, and they soon die. Sulu and Scotty are restored to normal, and the Halloween is over. Halloween is over. This really would have been... Well, I know that we covered this on one of our Halloween episodes, but this really would have been a good one to do as a, as a straight-up Halloween, but it's just where it happened to fall in the uh, in the number random number things. So what, what do you think about this? Fate, man. You know what? I like this episode. Do you the more really? I think about it, the more I like it. A, for all the ridiculous sexual imagery in it, <laughs> like magic wands and giant pussies and and the blatant imagery of Sylvia's slinky costume. She's skanky. Do you like her? I do her. Oh, my God. You'd do anybody, I think. I'd even do her as a wiggly little alien at the end. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> now, her first transformation when she's showing Kirk that she can assume different forms, that first woman that she changes into looks like she should be working in an Alabama Waffle House, I swear to God. She's Maybe, really, well, really skanky looking. Well, let's put it this way. Kirk is sort of the Bill Clinton of... of sci-fi heroes you know yeah, you're right yeah you know so, he sort of he sort of likes the ladies and and you know so the waffle house kind might be right up his alley because hey you know little little nookie and then some waffles afterwards you know he's he's my hero <laughs> he's my a man hero of appetites from, from my childhood and my first inclination when you started to say that was was to go no he's not but you know what you're absolutely right because you got you you can look no further than that Ugly pig faced Ruth chick from uh, Shore Leaf. She is definitely the Monica Lewinsky of Star Trek. <laughs> She's totally got that for thing going on, man. Not an attractive woman. I she flashed de- Kirk her space thong. Yeah, because because lo- <laughs> love or hate Bill Clinton, he, the guy had balls. You know, the guy was you know the guy had balls, and it's the same to be said for Kirk and. As they get older, they both get that sort of girdle look, you know? Because they both like probably the barbecue a little too much. Maybe I'm <laughs> mixing Shatner into this a little more than Kirk, but... 
But in Generations, Kirk was looking a little meaty, but then again, he was just riding his horse and hanging around the house. Well, Jesus, the dude's like, you know, at that point, he was what, like 75 yeah, or something? exactly. <laughs> so he was doing pretty good for that. And, yeah, there's a, there's, there's a lot to like about this. Now, once again, I watched the remastered version. I do too. This yeah. is my habit. Whenever I can, if I can get a hold of the remastered version, that's what I'm going to watch. Although everybody should be watching it on CBS.com because it's free and there it is. And uh, the remastered castle looks awesome. Yeah. Far from the cheesy sort of you know universal backlot castle that with dry ice it was there before. Well, it was the same one that was in uh, Squire of Gothos yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, and you got some great jaunty cutaway music in it. I mean, it is—it's a cheesy Halloween episode. I mean, mm-hmm. the goddamn skeleton that's hanging in there with him is right out of like a high school science class. <laughs> Did they pull that out of his mind or something? Because it's scarce. Because it's even got the like you know you can see the seam around its head where you know it's like you could lift the top of the. It was right. It was right out of the prop department. You know, science (laughs) class skeleton. But that you know it was. But that was that that was probably you know Robert Block. I've been reading a lot about you know the constraints the writers had and they turn in and and of course Robert Block wrote this but it probably went through three or four rewrites that had nothing to do with him. And uh, so, you know, they, uh, a lot of it was, hey, we'll take this, it's all from the subconscious, so we can use all these old, you know, we have lots of old horror props on the on the set, so we can drag those in and, and use those for this. And I thought, you know, for one thing, it had one of my favorite gags as a kid, the thing that, and I always wanted one, you could buy them, I remember, through a magazine, was the, the Enterprise and the Lucite Cube. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was really cool, and, and it really creeped me out as a kid, the sort of voodoo spell on the Enterprise. That actual prop went up for auction not long ago, and I couldn't tell you what exactly it fetched, but it fetched a, a Pretty mint. penny, yeah, because yeah. it's cool. They were selling replicas in, like, magazines and stuff, and they were really expensive for just, you know, a cheesy little prop re- replica back in those days, so... I can imagine. And, you know, it's your standard, you know, godlike alien plot with the twist of, you know, uh, the sort of romantic um, triangle bringing everything down and, you know, the whole thing of, like, it was all an illusion in the end, which, yeah, no, no shit, man. But I My just, problem- I, I enjoy it for, for what it is, you know, and it's very, you know, the sets are great and... Skanky or not, I, I guess maybe my tastes are more in in Kirk's league, <laughs> I guess, in, <laughs> than you are. But well, this is one of those episodes that I can honestly say, as much of a, of a Star Trek fan as I consider myself to be, this is one of those ones I think I've only ever seen a handful of times because I, I just never really liked this one, and it, it's got to have been. It's probably pushing 20 years since I'd seen this one the last time. So, you know, I, I was actually looking forward to, to re-watching it, especially watching the, the remastered. And I started watching it, and there were a lot of things I didn't remember. You know, like the, the dude that winds up... What the hell is his name? He winds I up can't remember his name either. Who the hell every, is this guy? Yeah, everybody else is either, you know, at their station or down on the... You know, because 
at one time or another in this episode, you wind up with Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty, Sulu, and who else? Down on the planet. So who the hell's left to run the right. ship? Right, this, this got, guy, whoever he is. Yeah. But what, what, what but this guy's name? got his whole Leslie or something. Yeah, like but that. he's got his whole thing going going on. He's all pike like. He's even got snappy little lines like, "I'll bet you credits to navy beans." Right. Yeah. What he the was a, kind of a dick. Though, yeah. Who the hell is this guy? Yeah. He's just yeah. like barking at everybody. You know, he was ready. He was a little Kirk in training. He was ready to jump right in and. But <laughs> so so much for him because, and another thing I like about this Jackson. Kirk yelling Jackson's name at the beginning. Jackson! This man but, you is... Know, the, the man is dead. But I, I liked the episode up until about the half... Well, i tell you where I thought the episode jumped the shark for me. Was when we get the obligatory Oh, Kirk, I want you so bad scene. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's when so easy happened, for him in this one, too. She's just, like, melting it. She, Kirk is just like, leave me alone with her. Hi. Yep. And the only thing that saved that scene for me was the whole time I kept thinking, I wonder if Shatner found her attractive, because I find her just skanky repulsive. But what was really funny was the scene where she comes to realize that he's totally just using her and not really into her at all. And she she starts yelling at him. So he yells right back. He's like, well, of course I'm using you. you. You've killed my men and all. And it was just hysterical because... The way I interpreted that scene was he, he was letting her know flat out that, you know, I've just been faking it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> You're an ugly bitch. Yeah, how'd you like that? Yeah. yeah. How, how, do you li- how do you like 3D reality now? Oh, you like these emotions? Here you go. Here's some emotions <laughs> for you. That's Kirk, man. He's, I love He's it. trying to get his... He's trying to, you know, he's trying to work for little Kirk, and he's also working for the Enterprise at the same time. But little Kirk always gets us caught here and there, you know? He gets to do those... He gets to do those closed mouth kisses, too, where you t- press your lips as oh, tightly yeah. together and just mash your face against the other person and roll your head back and forth on top of theirs. <laughs> he was a master of that. And sometimes you could tell there were a couple actresses who probably were into, like, having Shatner come up and molest him for a few minutes. <laughs> and you see him, like, rah, rubbing his face into him, and they're just sort of like, yeah. Paycheck. <laughs> Acting like they're trying to get away. That's what I like when he always grabs him roughly by the by the shoulders and pulls him that much There's closer. To like, twirl. come here, you're not getting away. Well, he's got that, like, the shoulder roll. He's got that little twirl where he twirls him back into his arms. <laughs> what? But now, uh, this one also has a nice sweaty Uhura in it too. She gets all sweaty <laughs> for some reason. Oh, that's right. They're they're, bur- they're, they're waving the up. ship over the candle. That's right. Yeah. Well, they all get sweaty, so I'm thinking that yeah, must but... be one lovely smelling bridge during that. <laughs> yeah. They're all in their sweaty Starfleet. Start smelling like an actual Star Trek convention. Now, here was the biggest shock of the whole episode for me. I would have bet money on this. I, I was absolutely convinced of, of my accuracy on this, and it was a shock to find out that I was wrong. I have always believed that Korob was played by that same fucking Dom DeLuise-looking dude that played um, King Tut on Batman. I always oh, thought it was yeah. that same. What is and his name? Oh, I, I couldn't tell I'll you. remember it in a second. 
I always thought that King Tut was was in this episode as Korob, and it's it's actually not. It's a completely different guy. But that really, really shocked me rewatching this episode. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Where's King Tut? So I don't know. Is, is he in another episode and I'm just confusing them or or am I just nuts? I don't I don't know. It could be a little bit of both. I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. Somebody'll tell somebody'll fill us in. Yeah. But man, I, I I really did think that that was that that King Tut guy, and I was so shocked to find out I was wrong. Well, the only other thing I really have on this one is, um, oh, this this was the thing that I really really got a kick out of. You know, you and I had talked back when we uh, when we did one of our Halloween specials, and we talked briefly about this episode about uh, what what the hell were we talking about? Oh, it was things in Star Trek that had freaked right. us out kids when trek attacks yeah that was it things that scared us about star trek when we were kids and uh the aliens that we see at the at the end of this episode and how they would freak us out one of the things that freaked me out along with the weird look of the of the aliens and how kind of freaky they were was they made that that weird sound that that weird like goot goot kind of sound yeah now probably about I don't know, maybe about six months ago or so, I was watching, um, I finally got on DVD all of the uh, the uh, Walt Disney's True Life Adventure films, which I've always wanted to see. I've heard so many good things about them, but I'd never actually seen any of them. And a lot of these were like Oscar award winning short films, you know, all about nature and stuff. And, and some of like the best nature documentaries that had ever been done up till that time and really interesting stuff so I, I was making my way through those and watching those films and i couldn't tell you exactly which one it was i think it was one called prowlers of the everglades but but don't quote me i may i may be wrong on that but anyway right toward the end of it of whatever episode i was watching there was a whole segment about baby crocs and they were showing a, a nest of baby crocs in the wild and damned if they weren't making that sound the exact same sound so i'm convinced that the alien sound that we get at the end of this episode when we finally baby see crocs they're, they're baby crocs and it was but i mean to be watching a disney nature film and suddenly get freaked out by that alien you know the same alien sound right it was just like whoa wait a minute you know it was really freaky but uh but yeah sure enough baby crocs man sort of a precursor to Ben Burt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Although these creatures are no Chewbacca, that's for sure. <laughs> but they still they're, they're they're dressed up a little bit in the in the remastered edition so they don't look as much like puppets on a string in a in a cloudy fishbowl full of water. Yeah, I, I, it looked to me like basically they cleaned up the video and they took out the strings. Yeah, <laughs> but everything else was pretty much the same. And, and so you taking really out the good... strings makes a big difference, though. Really, yeah. <laughs> well, they, to, to me, they looked like you remember those uh, those snowball things that we used to get yeah. with our lunches when we were a kid. You know, those I think they were made by Hostess. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, looks they were... like someone stuck a few of them together with pipe cleaners. Yeah, they looked like blue snowballs with some pipe cleaner legs, and then they had like crawfish hands. And goddamn, they're freaky looking. Even even today, they still kind of creep me out. They're just freaky looking. See more sexual in- imagery: blue balls, big black pussy, magic wand. <laughs> 
Well, let's talk about the stupid cat. I mean, even when I was a kid, I thought that shit was cheesy. <laughs> it is cheesy. They film it in slow motion. It's just like kitty cat running down a little tiny hallway. It's, but that you know, <laughs> come on. As a kid, it worked for me as a kid, so I guess I can remember that enough to take it for the cheese value that it is, you know. But yeah, you know, you can't get around it. But well, you know, anytime that that there was a live action shot of Kirk and his people and the giant cat was coming, all you saw was a giant shadow of this cat on the wall. And it, every time I saw that, it reminded me of that episode, that cartoon of uh, Sylvester and Porky Pig where they go to the haunted house. Right. And there's that one part where the, they see the giant spider on the wall and then you come to realize it's just a little teeny tiny spider with like the light shining on it and casting right. this giant shadow. So every time I see that part with the giant cat, I expect to hear that from that that old Porky Pig cartoon. It's, I don't know. I just this episode. I know what they were going for, but I just think that they, for the most part, failed miserably. It just it doesn't scare me. It doesn't. I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. I, I, it comes off really cheesy. I mean, it was working up until about the midway point because I, I kind of liked where it was going when, you know, when they meet Korob and he lays out the table and they do the thing about the jewels and all that. Part parts of it I was really enjoying and I thought, you know, this is better than I remember it. But then just somewhere about the midway point in the episode, it just suddenly. I don't know. It just loses it. It all falls apart. For one thing, I I didn't understand exactly what what the hell was the point of any of it. Why were they fucking with Kirk? What did they want? Why did they need Kirk and his people? Why did Sylvia suddenly wig out? Why did Korob suddenly betray her? And none of it really seemed to make any sort of logical sense. I can explain all that somewhat. They needed that. I don't know what, because yeah, because basically Sulu and Scotty, and this is another point I have is, Kane, you know, all these secondary characters are like, all right, I'm in this episode, but basically they get to be zombies with no lines, and the, and <laughs> and then you get also get to see Kirk and Spock beat up their butt, beat the shit out of their buddies, you know. <laughs> so you finally get to see Scotty get the shit kicked out of him, McCoy get punched repeatedly by Kirk, you know, or Spock. <laughs> so. But I think what happened is I for why they lured him down there I'm not sure but I think they wanted like a human or humans I I think they just were not used to living in this dimension so they probably needed a human to sort of guide them through it, what was going on they were in, intensely powerful but lacking knowledge so they needed somebody that they could possibly I guess control or manipulate or intimidate to show them the ways of the flesh and Sylvia had it all figured out and and Kolob was jealous and then they got into a fight because Kirk Kirk introduced when Kirk introduced little Kirk into the equation everything fell apart <laughs> basically is what happened you know Col- you know he gets jealous she gets pissed they both feel betrayed and <laughs> The whole ruse is is over. <laughs> Little Kirk. Uh-huh. Kirk there are some good uh, some good Kirk fight scenes in this one, though. 
Oh yeah, he gets that, that one part for like no reason whatsoever. He kicks that thing out of the boy's <laughs> hand and turns on the belt in the yeah. jaw. Just to show off. I've always know? wanted no to do that. Reason. Yeah, there's no reason that he... Actually, I think that's on one of the blooper reels, too, where he does that little kick thing and in, uh, <laughs> in, uh, DeForest Kelly gets pissed. <laughs> and I, and I think they bleep it. I'm not sure what he says, but he gets mad about that. But It, it is funny, though, because I, I love it when Kirk... You know, I love it for one thing when he just beats down on somebody, but I really like when he throws in unnecessary <laughs> fight moves just just to make himself look cooler, I guess. <laughs> and he does it a lot in this one. It's funny. But he's so fucking predictable because uh, you know, the kids were watching this episode with me, and uh, Zombie Scotty and Sulu come into the room and they free Spock and uh, and uh, and Kirk. And they're walking out of the room, and they just start to go up the, the stairs. And I, I said to this guy, I said, watch Kirk, he's going to do something. And I no sooner got the words out of my mouth that Kirk turns around and tries to do that, you know, karate <laughs> chop the phaser out of right. your hand and punch you in the, in the mouth at the same time maneuver. And I was like, God damn, he's so predictable. And he does the same thing every time. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. Uh, it just kills me. So anyway, I don't know. If I had to grade this one, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe a f- four out of ten. I don't know. Wow. It's, it's yeah, it's pretty low on my on my meter because I, I don't know. I like the beginning of it, but then after a certain point, it's just like nah, I don't know. Well, I'm gonna give it a B plus because I use a whole different grading method than you. <laughs> but so it's getting a B plus. It's getting a it's getting a B plus. No, I didn't find her skanky at all. Maybe a slight. Bit milfy on the, but whatever. And milfy. Whatever. Maybe you're pickier than me. Fine. So so be it. So be it. <laughs> so right, be it. Jedi. <laughs> Crossing those streams again. <laughs> Don't cross the streams. It would be bad. You want you want to move on to? Uh, yeah, to we'll, some- we'll go forward in time. Our Star Trek, and we'll be right back with the DC Star Trek comics, the last DC Star Trek comic before Star Trek 3 happens. Sweet. They are the first and best team of mystery men ever to assemble for the cause of justice. The heroes that have been part of their ranks are legendary. They fight for America and for democracy, and yet no one has devoted a podcast to their exploits. Until now. Unfortunately, it's hosted by these guys. I don't care what Julia Schwartz says. Yeah, League sounds like a baseball team. I f- hate baseball. So, there you go. Um, first F-bomb of the show. Um, How did you not- beat me to the first F-bomb of the show? Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey present... Tales of the Justice Society of America. Fridays at two true freaks. Alright, I'll you want me to bring it back in? <laughs> My brain is wandering. All right, 
Alright, we're back. <laughs> Here we are. Back. We're going in chronological... We're just fucking around with this episode. We're going in chronological Star Trek or- order. So now we're doing the, the DC comic... Shut up! <laughs> Your brain is broken! Yay! S- Scott hurt his brain between... <laughs> sections of this, so you're just gonna have to bear with him. Well, any- on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we're covering DC Star Trek number eight. This is from all the way back in November 1984 when George Orwell's dystopian future was supposed to be happening and was 95 cents. Which in the comics we've been talking about lately is goddamn expensive. What? 75 cents. 75 cents? Yeah. I swore mine says 95 cents. Does it really? Let me check on it. It sure as hell does say 95 cents on it. Canadian version or something. Yeah, mine says 75. Huh. That's weird. Continue. Well, mine's worth 20 cents more. (laughs) November 89, 95 cents. Covered by Tom Sutton and Joe Orlando. And uh, it's a pretty good cover, except for the one guy on the right holding the phaser. There's just something wrong with him. He looks like one of your action figures that you've just twisted everything. And he's got his arm up in the air like he's fencing or something. Yeah. He's holding a phaser. Well, anyway. This is written by Mike Barr, and art inside is, is also by Sutton, but inked by Ricardo Villagran. So... As you recall last time, Savick, in the throes of the Pon Far, you know, Savick is attacking the Enterprise thinking it's a Romulan ship because she's all horned out of her mind from the Pon Far. <laughs> Kirk does a classic Kirk move and plays possum with the Enterprise to trick her into thinking that she destroyed them. So then she heads for the planet to find her mate, Zon, X-O-N. The Enterprise follows her, but they cloak so that she doesn't know they're tailing her. So Zahn, meanwhile, is, is turns out, is some sort of Federation super-secret spy, and he's posing as a Romulan to observe the experiments of the Romulans Tal and Lar. It seems that they're tapping that energy shield that sits at the uh, edges of uh, the galaxy, and they're using it to create basically a bunch of genetically engineered glowy-eyed Romulan Gary Mitchells. Right. So uh, Zahn figures this is a really bad thing for the Federation, and you know he, uh, when you find out who he is, he's thinking to himself, "I've got to report to my Federation superiors and Federation secret headquarters about this because this is bad." So um, the Romulans use these genetic Gary Gary Mitchells to uh, sort of you know, snoop out what's going on, and they detect Savick landing on on the planet. They detect, you know, a ship or something landing on the planet and say sort of where it is. So Zahn volunteers to go investigate, and basically he just wants to get a little away time from the emotional Romulans because he's sick of pretending to be emotional because he's full-blooded Vulcan. Instead, he, he he's thinking, ah, I'm just going to find a meteor or something, but I get a little break here. But instead, there he finds Savick, who, you know, kissy faces it, but I guess once it, she's met up with him again, it sort of 
you know, puts out a little bit of the Ponfar fire in her and calms her lust a little bit. Well, that's all well and good, but unfortunately the Romulans have sort of figured out that Zahn's a, an, an agent and they just beam up behind him and arrest him on the spot. But Savik, I don't know, she's taking a piss behind a rock or something, but she's they don't <laughs> see her at all or her shuttle or anything, so they just they leave don't her have behind. fucking tricorders. I guess not. Not Romulans. They use their noses or something. But anyway, they don't. They don't detect her, and so they take Zahn away. And the Enterprise finds her on the planet and and beams her back up. And they're having a hard time finding Zahn because he's Vulcan. But Vulcans are so close to Romulans that they're having a hard time. But Savik sniffs him out because he's her Ponfar mate, fellow Vulcan. And they find him and. When they, when they find him, the um, Romulans have just taken him to the golden-eyed, you know, Gary Mitchell guys, and are having them just sort of basically brain-rape him to figure out what's going on. <laughs> so they they beam him aboard just in time for McCoy to sort of patch him up and and stop his brain hemorrhages that were starting. So then Kirk lures the Romulans into a chase and basically tricks him into flying into the energy field, apparently to float forever lost without any guidance. And all is set up for Star Trek Three. David and Savick boogie out of there to uh, go check on the Genesis planet, and we're all ready for the adaptation of Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Sweet. And we were discussing the art, before this episode, yeah, I I don't know. What do you think? Not the I, best. the 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 ships are okay, but the characters are. There, you know, sweaty Savic is okay, but man, there's some terrible Kirks. There's some pretty good Scotties. He he's got a couple good Scotties, a couple Sulus, but there's just some fucked up Kirks. Yeah, you know, it works with the characters that are just sort of the independent characters because you have no frame of reference. For but what, what the fuck is up with this Lar guy, the uh, the Romulan scientist? He he honestly looks to me like one of those um, racial stereotypes that you would see in like a 1940s comic, you know, with Captain America fighting the Japs or some yeah. fucking thing. That's Fu really Manchu what he looks style. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, that's what I was trying to think of. Fu Manchu, exactly. That's exactly what he looks like. Yeah. Yeah, and he's a Romulan. It's weird. Yeah, and just... and and the and the rom and the, the the other guy is just sort of like, no, we're not reporting back. We're not reporting. It's all just a little too convenient, you know. I would imagine somebody would be questioning at some point, going, "Come on, man, <laughs> you know, at least tell them, hey, we've at least zapped these Gary Mitchell guys, right?" But uh, I uh, I don't. I don't want to be overly harsh because I, I really do enjoy this story. I, I'm really digging the, the DC line of Star Trek comics so far so, so much better than the, the, the Marvel effort ones. that Marvel was, was putting out. However, this one here, it, it's like the first half of the story was really good. I really enjoyed the setup. I, I like the use of all the characters and all the elements that were brought in. But it's like somehow they just couldn't quite pull the ending of the story off. I, I think this one ends really weak. For one yeah. thing, there, there was a, just a number of things that I, I scientifically speaking, you know, scientific w- within the Star Trek 
universe yeah. don't quite work. For one thing, all right, to convince Savick that something, I, I guess that they've destroyed themselves or that they've been damaged or whatever the fuck, Kirk orders the torpedo room to launch two gravitic mines with 30-second detonation fuses, and then they shoot them out from the ship, and then 30 seconds later, they, like, detonate. All right, they they don't work that way. Mines don't work that way. Right. They're, ta- they're talking about torpedoes. A mine is, like, Sits you lay a waits. mine, and, th- and then you wait for somebody to fly yeah. along, and it attaches to the hull and blows them the fuck up. It doesn't work that way. So... Well, also, when she's sort of thinking about... There's a point where she's like, Hey, you know, maybe I blew up the Enterprise. And then she's just sort of like, Well, I hope I didn't. You know, come on. (laughs) You think she'd be a little more torn than that. She'd be, you know... You'd think there'd be... Even though, you know, she's supposedly... Well, she's half Vulcan, half Romulan. There would be a little bit of like, What have I done, you know? I could at least get court-martialed for that. Right. Now, these Romulan scientists use their space uh, antenna thingy to draw energy from the barrier and put it into these Romulan volunteers and turn them into, like you say, Romulan Gary Mitchells. Yet, at the end of the story, let me see, I'm trying to find it here, Kirk phasers the antenna off the top of the thing, and we get this reaction shot of all these Romulan dudes, their eyes are back to normal. Yeah, and that's not like, how it works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once they have the energy, they have it the It starts energy, growing. Right? Yeah, that's what happened with Gary Mitchell. He just got a vap, little zap. And these guys, th- that was sort of like a... accident. Well, that was yeah. sort of an accidental thing. This, they actually like had them wired up and were like, come on, bring it on, you know? Right. And, had, and they hinted that these guys were like genetically... You know, manipulated to to take the energy more. You know, so they were sort of like Romulan supermen, getting even more supersized. And this is this is this was my sole note for this episode that I wrote down, and that's this is just once again a perfect example. And I guess it actually works within Star Trek of Kirk just sort of prematurely being like, well, problem solved, and then marching merrily into the distance. Because <laughs> he's, you know, there's no, you know, there's no, they're not, they, their ship didn't blow up or something, so they're probably all still alive. I'm assuming they're all still Romulan supermen. If they're going like Gary Mitchell at that exponential brain growth rate, they'll be able to figure out how to get out of the, um energy field and at the same time they're surrounded by brain juice and you can't tell me that scientist doesn't have a backup antenna because they just shot this little dinky antenna right and just happened you know just happened to get it perfectly but uh so you know he's he's leave basically leaving behind a ticking time bomb that will also be pissed off at him except you know, half a dozen to eight to ten Romulan Gary Mitchells is, you know, if, if, I mean, don't you think they would eventually come to some godlike point where they would just be able to dominate the universe no matter where they were? <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, they would have, we're in the energy field, whatever, we transcend all time and space, so, 
you know, we're also in the, you know, so wh- whatever. He just sort of, yeah, problem solved. <laughs> hey, Star Trek is coming up. Time to search for Spock. <laughs> well, see, I, I interpreted this panel. It, it looks to me like they're actually dying from being cut off from the power. So I'm wondering if they actually die. In the, see, it doesn't say. It, it's just it has right. the scientist guy saying some interruption of the power uh, in the power reception. All of you cease concentration before the feedback, and then we get this reaction shot of them all looking like. Bleh! So, well, yeah. I took it that they actually died. So if everybody that if, you know, for one thing, if everybody beamed up to the Romulan ship, which it doesn't make that apparent either, because all you've got is one guy saying beam me up immediately right so the others may be on the surface still continuing their experiments like you said and then you know the guys that end up trapped in the barrier if there's nobody in there that's like psi sensitive or whatever then i guess they might all just die out there without there ever you know anybody developing into a uh, another gary mitchell situation but still you've still Potentially, if if you're a Romulan, down on the planet, still fucking around down there. If you look at it from the Romulan point of view, or any of Kirk's enemies' point of view, he's Doctor Evil. He's every <laughs> he's every Bond villain. He's just like I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna kill you, but I'm going to leave you for dead, you know, in this, and just assume that you'll be dead. And off I go, and I'm not gonna think about you anymore. And meanwhile, they have plenty of time to plot and scheme and get pissed and they'll remember <laughs> he right. might not remember but they're gonna remember and Kirk does that all the time just sort of like well <laughs> that <Right>. way <laughs> now the thing with the uh, with the, the cloaking device I know that this has been used several times but do we ever really get an explanation for why the Enterprise is suddenly using a just convenience my friend just convenience it just sort of pops in there and just like all of a sudden they're cloaking and I was like trying to think were they talking about cloaking before and eh, not really but they had to they had to cloak and or else it would have screwed up the whole story because nobody could know they were there you know but but then by you know I mean the very next adventure is now the third movie and the third movie they they don't have <clears throat> excuse me they don't have that ability they didn't have that ability in Star Trek 2 so I'm wondering did we miss it somewhere along the line where they gained this ability I mean we're it not certainly seeing... would have helped in Star Trek 2 we would have had some oh, Spock yeah. stories in these comics probably mm-hmm <laughs> But overall, I, I, I did like the story. I, I think the I, I don't think it was as good as the first part of the story. I think a lot of the, the the story elements and a lot of the resolution of the story was a little too pat. But it was still a good. You know, well, still I had a, good a nice budget. little fanboy nod by putting Zahn on the Enterprise. You know, you're on the Starship Enterprise, and where he might have ended up in some alternate universe. So right. that was that was kind of cool. And he gets a little moment with Kirk at the end where they just sort of do a little mutual handshake deal. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, I did like that. Now, uh, shortly, we, by, by the time of next Star Trek Monthly Monday, we'll uh, be putting out a special. Yes. In which we'll be covering both 
uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek III, The Search for Spock uh, movie. You know, we'll, we'll do like a, a discussion of the films themselves to kind of bring ourselves up to speed with where the comics are. Where the because, comics are, yeah. yeah. The very next issue, number nine of DC Star Trek, is suddenly post Star Trek Three. So we're, we're going to go ahead and, you know... Catch it yeah. all up. Yeah, we'll catch it all up. And uh, and our Star Trek The Motion Picture uh, episode that we did was, was very, very popular. For such an unpopular movie, that was a very popular episode. So I can only yeah, yeah. imagine that, you know, you take the most, you know, arguably the most popular Star Trek movie, Star Trek Two, and uh, we're going to cover that one and Star Trek Three. So I, I'm looking forward They're to that. They're just two of my favorites, so I'm looking forward oh, yeah. to... And, yeah, and, I, and, I, and I like doing them at once because they're sort of one storyline. They sort yep. of work as a, as a storyline, so we'll just sort of do it that way. I've I've always thought, really, of Star Trek 2, 3, and 4. Oh, yeah. It's almost like the Star Trek trilogy. You know, Star, Star Wars has two trilogies. I, I think that within the Star Trek films, there's that one trilogy because those three movies really do flow from one to another. You know, like like a trilogy style story. Unfortunately, I think four isn't up to. Well, the because stuff. it was it was set in present day, which makes it dated to that present day. So technically, right. though, it still works because okay, that's that's when Kirk and Spock went, and the crew went back in time to, but it still has that '80s look. And that one was sort of like a victory lap movie. It was that's the romp too. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the I mean. Two and three cover the heady issues, and four it's save the earth, but it's also it's a character. It's right. a character, and you know, and it, and it was a big, it was a huge, humongous money maker, and mm-hmm. and all that. So, yeah, I, I haven't seen that in a long time. So I'm looking forward to checking out Star Trek Four again. I haven't seen it in years and years and years and years and years and years and years. So I'm going to see how it holds up, but. I'll, I'll just say this before we get to the Star Trek Three one. I I just watched it recently and I love I loved it. I loved it before and I love it again. So mm-hmm. looking forward to that episode. Me too. But anyway, I think I'm about done with done with this comic for now. Yep, me too. All right, we'll be right back with Star Trek: The Next Generation. Come Welcome to, to Jamaica. Jamaica. Come back to gentility. <laughs> What's old is what's new. <laughs> <laughs> we want you to join us. Come back to our people. We made it for you. Come back to hospitality. So make it Jamaica. Come back to our bounty. Make it your own. Come back to tranquility. Make it Jamaica. Come back to romance. Your new island home. Come back to the way things used to be. Make it Jamaica again, and make it your own. Make it Jamaica, your new island home. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. You must get the vaccine from the planet, Captain, immediately. On a desperate, life-saving mission, Lieutenant Yar falls prey to kidnappers. Close on torpedoes ready, sir. Fire. 
You shall have no vaccine and no Lieutenant Yard. And the deadly trade-off begins. I challenge you. A struggle to the death. It's a fight for survival on Star Trek The Next Generation. And so, 78 years later in Star Trek The Next Generation in the 24th century, we got uh, Chris Honeywell's synopsis of Code of Honor. This is my synopsis. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably my synopsis. Alright. Synopsis. The Enterprise has to... (laughs) The crew of the Enterprise have to kiss some Ligonian ass to get necessary medicine. With the chauvinist Ligonians, kidnapping is apparently an important part of negotiation and diplomacy. So in the spirit of friendship, they kidnap Tasha Yar. Hilarity ensues. And that's it. <laughs> that about says it all. I don't know if that's an ops- awesome synopsis or a shit synopsis. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. It's an awesome shit synopsis. There you go. Thank you. That's... Well, I mean... He don't really need much more than that in this one, other than possibly. Oh, there's the fact some that, story to it. But... Yeah, there's a little bit of story, but yeah. Now the the first time I watched this for the show, I can't remember what I thought about this when I saw it on television. But the first time I watched it for the show, I was like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> but the second time, I, I and that, but that was a while ago. That was before we were even going to do the show, and I was just sort of watching through the episodes. But then when I watch it again to sort of refresh my memory for the show, I liked it more. You know, I'm looking at these next generation. They're, you know, I'm old. But I always think of them as new Star Trek. Right. And, but they still, they, ha- they have that retro feel. And, and, they're, they're, and age is giving them the patina of the original series. So the music is kind of... Everything's a little, you know, everything gets a little more realistic as time goes by, I guess, as far as the can, way can we Can I interrupt you stuff. for one second? Sure. You, you mentioned something that I want to make sure that I don't forget to mention. You mentioned the music. This is the only episode that's scored by one of the guys that actually scored an original series episode. Ah, I, so you can I, tell. Yeah. I can't remember who the hell it is off the top of my head, but yeah, the guy that did this one. Um, was one of the original original well, you, series. You can composers. certainly tell it's got that like you know it's got the theme for the Lagonians. It's kind of cheesy and ornate, and uh, you know this this one like the last one references a lot of original series too. Yeah, you know it's got that a muck time. It's got like the the chick fight version of a muck time. Yep. And it's even got people going click 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 with their you know clicking sticks together, which that. is when it's time to die. It's time to click sticks together. So that you know it's got that aspect to it. But I mean, it, yeah, I, you know what annoyed me about it is the characterization of the Lagonians. They're fucking assholes, especially you know the main character is just a. And they have the they have the Enterprise over a barrel because they have the medicine that they need. So they make them jump through every hoop, and you know comfort, they have all these strict traditions that the Enterprise has to follow if they want their medicine. Which if they don't get it, millions of people are going to die. So they're sort of, you know they're just sort of fucked by these guys. And this guy just 
takes total advantage of the situation, basically holds oh, yeah. millions of people in the thrall to to for his basic little petty land grab scheme. Well, you know that's my number one beef with this episode is the is the very end of it. The last thing that happens in the episode is is the thing that makes me go. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. Now, they've made a giant fucking issue out of the fact that millions of people are, are you know, the lives of millions of people are hanging in the balance while they're fucking around with this, you know, with this asshole on with this, this planet. With this douchebag, yeah. Yeah, he's just being a fucking asshole and, and holding back the vaccine because he's, you know, all horned up for, for Tasha Yar, right? So they go through all this bullshit, and spoiler alert, they finally get the vaccine that they need at the end of the episode. So Riker tells them, you know, lay in the course for wherever the fuck needs the vaccine, and they lay in the course, all right, full ahead, warp three. What the fuck? That's like finding out that your mom is dying, so you decide to drive to the hospital as fast as you can at 25 miles an hour. No, no, it's it's like you find out your mom's dying... And you have to fight your way through a jungle to get to the to get to your car, and then you get in your car, and then you go twenty miles an hour the whole <laughs> right. way there. Yeah, that's a much you know, better. Yeah, you've, you've exactly. had to kill forty people and fight to the death to get there, and then it's just like yeah. with people what lined up hell? behind you. Yeah, but that was just like a st- yeah, that was one st- stupid you know thing among many things, and it's not as simple as it. He's He's got this whole plot that he's he he likes Yar, so he'd love to mate with her. But if his wife gets in the death duel over him with her, and his wife dies, and he inherits all her shit, and he gets all her shit, and if you know Tasha dies, he's still got his wife, and basically he's just in a win-win situation. And I like the scene where Picard draws that out of him by flattering him, you know, because they right. have his number. And that's how they sort of defeat him is they 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 use his culture and traditions right back against him and and Picard's like oh okay this guy's manipulative all right fuck him I'm gonna I'll show him what manipulative <laughs> is you know I'm Shakespearean trained man I'll manipulate his ass up his fucking come to Jamaica fucking seven up ass up and down this fucking set. And then proceeds to do so. And he even does it sort of secret style where he doesn't tell Riker what's going on. So Riker has a little freak out of what's what the hell is a captain thinking? So you get and there's uh, they pack a lot of drama into these next generations compared to the the old school because there's a whole subplot of Wesley is finally allowed to go on the bridge and sit in important situations and. His mom manipulates it by bringing him up. It's all everybody's just being manipulative in this episode. She brings him up onto the elevator and has him stand out in the elevator because technically, then he's not on the bridge. And then sort of shames Picard into bringing him up on the bridge. It's just and yeah. <laughs> but I enjoyed it the second time around because it had that Star Trek. It had that Star Trek feel, and it has that. What I like about it is it's science fiction. It's like, here's another... It's science fiction, but it's got that Gene Roddenberry Star Trek thing of where it's like, here's another culture, and 
you know, here's all the rules of the Federation, the rules of this culture, and then a situation. How do these characters resolve it, you know, using these different characters? That's a classic science fiction thing. And then the Roddenberry part of it is you make all sorts of references, you know, the references to our own, you know, they're humanoids. And, I mean, basically these guys are dressed sort of like Philippine native costume, you know, or Jamaican outfits. So they're sort of like, you know, I mean... Picard comes right out and says at one point, um, you know, they're just like us when we were in their phase of development. Right. He's pretty condescending about it, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, he's just like, you know, they're falling prey to all the foibles that almost brought us to death, but we at least figured it out, you know, and they're just wallowing in it, basically. Which they were. were. But, you know, at the end of it, you find out that this arrogant, strutting guy when it all comes down to it, can instantly be swatted down by the woman and all of a sudden... And he's he's made into number two. <laughs> well, here, here's, two the, now. here's the thing with this one. There's there's two things about this episode that, that stand out to me or, or whatever. One of them is, this very much feels like, all right, we spent a hell of a lot of money on the pilot. We need to have a nice cheap episode in here to kind of balance things out a little bit, and this very much feels like one of those episodes kind of made on the cheap because the, the sets look kind of cheap, the props and everything look kind of it, it just has that low budget feel. To well, it, yeah, it's not a story that will... requires a lot of special effects or a yeah. lot of sets or anything. It's just sort of a drama. You know, it's people beaming. All the drama is people beaming back and forth in one set piece with the, where they take the pond far fight and up it by making it a three dimensional right. sort of ring with different things popping up in it and stuff. It's so, it's not a horrible episode. It's not as bad as I remembered it to be because you know th- this one gets a bad rap for supposedly it has like really nasty racial bullshit and all I, I didn't really see all that in it. I just think it's just kind of not all that great, but it's not horrible either. I mean, it, it has some interesting elements and everything, but here's where this episode pushes my buttons, and it's it's not it's not just this episode. It, it's episodes like this that really bother me. Now, granted, this was made, you know, in the Roddenberry era by Roddenberry, so I can't see this ever happening in this time frame. Right. I especially can't see this happening with this captain, but here's a scenario I would love to have seen at least once in the history of Star Trek, whether it was Kirk or Cisco or Janeway or Archer, one of the tough captains. All right. They, they come into this situation. They need a vaccine or a grain or a fucking tool or something. And they go to this planet where these primitive fucks are holding out on them. These primitive screw heads. <laughs> I would love to see an episode where the captain beams down with like a full security detail and just fucking lays it out. This is how it's going to go down, all right? You know? Well, we they have would... the power to absolutely fucking annihilate you, so give us what we need or we're going to knock your ass back exactly. to the fucking Stone Age. I'm not fucking around here. Millions of people are going to die and you're being a douchebag. Give me what I need or I'm going to fucking kill you right now. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? 
This is my boomstick. Now I swear. The next one of you primates even touches me. That's the kind of episode I'd right. just one time I'd like to see that in Star Trek. Kirk, Instead, man, Kirk. half of this episode is is wrapped up with Picard standing around on the bridge, wringing his fucking hands like he doesn't well, know what to do. Well, he know? has that. They have that. Con- it's him and Beverly Crusher, I think, that have the conversation of just like this would be so much easier without the you know, without the whatchamacallit, the thing that prime Kirk, directive. the prime directive, the that thing that Kirk always breaks. That doesn't apply in this situation. That, well, that's another thing that really bothers no, me. No, probably prime like Starfleet rule number one is probably like you don't hostily approach a planet or something, but that, yeah, it's not the prime directive at all. Yeah. If you bombed them to, to the Stone Age, I guess that would affect their civilization, but... Yeah, you know, but I mean, what Kirk would have done would be the equivalent of when the superhero grabs the head bad guy and takes him up to the top of the building and dangles him by his pinky toe right? and says, hey, I could just drop you, and hey, maybe I will drop you and just catch you before I go, but that's just because I'm in a good mood now. And Kirk, and Kirk would have done that and been like, this guy ain't going to file a fucking report with the Federation, that's for sure. And uh, right. I don't know, that camera was broken up there. <laughs> I don't know, Scotty, get on that, you know? And that would have been that. But Picard, that's not Picard. Picard is a man of thought and, you know, he's serious about his his ideas and, you know, the way he, he's, by, he's a sort of by-the-books guy. He'll bend the rules here and there but you know maybe because this is maybe this because this was going to obviously be a very high profile type of uh outing maybe they they didn't want to bend the rules at all but they really have to and they have to walk this fine line of totally kissing these guys asses but if they kiss their asses too much then they're totally weak, and this guy's going to totally walk, but, you know. Right, right. That's my and, point. And there was stuff like Data was, everybody was correcting Picard in front of this guy, too. And one thing I would have done if I was directing this is I would have, like, had some sort of, I would have given some direction whenever, like, Data was like, well, correction, Captain, and blah, blah, blah. You know, that these guys sort of gave each other a, a look of like, see, I told you he was a pussy. Look at this, the way this, you right. know, he should be taking this robot out and dismantling him right now going, what the fuck did you just say? No, no, right. what did you just say to me? What did you just say to me? No, no, what did you just fucking say? Well, see, that's the thing that uh, down the road, eventually, by the time we get to, say, the the next gen movies... They do become much more um, action. Well, they're at, like action movies. Yeah. yeah, they're much more like action movies. But see, I, I know what Roddenberry was going for. You know, he was going for very much the future enlightened people, the the non confrontational, all that sort of thing. But it comes down to this: you know, is this guy the fucking captain or not? You know, and and to sit around in a committee episode after episode and and you know like you just said you know the people are constantly butting in and interrupting him and correcting him and stuff it makes him look really really weak you know it, it makes it look like he he can't make a fucking decision without the counselor giving her input and data giving some goofy bit of well, what there's a very there's a very condescending moment with counselor troy 
where he's you know going blah blah blah. And he's like, but I'm make, but you know, I'll stop because I'm making a speech. And uh, she goes, well, that's your right as cat. And it was just sort of a little pat on the head, uh, like you're the captain, you have the right to make. It was a little bit of a ass kissing. Right. But it had an air of condescension. And that's all she did. All she did in this episode was be like, you know, do what he says, Captain, or you're going to, he's going to think you're weak. You know, she was just always on the side, just going like, bend over. Okay, now grab, okay, <laughs> put your right hand on your right cheek and your left hand on your left cheek. Now pull them away. All right, this is going to hurt for a second, but otherwise he's going to think you're weak. <laughs> Well, there's also that Bite down on this. <laughs> they're on the bridge. You know, for one thing, they're on the bridge. Why the hell didn't they, they have their little powwow back there in the in the conference room or whatever? But they're all just standing around on the bridge. And you got uh, Picard and the doctor, and then Data's sitting in the, in the lounge chair, and then uh, Riker's up on the upper level, and I think somebody else is there too. And they're all having their little powwow, and they've consulted the computer, and they've they've come to the realization that oh, you know, well now we've got all the facts, now we understand these people, and and what's going on, and here's exactly what you should do so that you don't appear weak, and here's how to get Tasha back. And I'm thinking, why why the fuck didn't they do this research ahead of time before yeah. they got to the goddamn planet? Why didn't they have all this shit figured out beforehand so that they knew exactly who they were dealing with and how to deal with them? Why do they wait till they get to the planet and then there's a fucking international incident and now all of a sudden they want to do the proper homework? Well, well, now th- think of the internet now, today. Okay, so think of what they should be able to do then. So right. they should be able to get on the horn with like the, the cultural anthropologist who all he does is study their culture. Right. And say, look, this is our situation. What should we do? And he'll be like, well, you go to the closest star base and you pick up a fucking 50 gallon jug of Vaseline okay and you <laughs> take that with you because you're going to need it and and just basically tell them what to do you know yeah they basically after a while they're like I think it, I think basically what it was was they just didn't expect to get jerked around so much right. they, thought, they thought there'd be a little bit of a ceremony going on and that's what appeared to be going on until they swipe Tasha, but then when they swipe Tasha, immediately, you know, Counselor Troy is just like, oh, well, you know, they did that because that's basically how they did It's like, well, why didn't you tell me that ahead of time and say, okay, stay away from them when they're fucking transporting because they right. like to just snag people. That's part of their, <laughs> you know, tradition. You know? Oh, she's hot. Glom. Yep. Exactly. That's exactly my point. And, and you know, so... Well, I, I still have trouble get pa- getting past the thing. Maybe, maybe this is... Because, see, the same thing bothers me in real-world politics. When the United States, the greatest and most powerful country in the world deals with, you know, fucking scumbagia that has a population of 35 fucking people and they feel like they can fuck with us, you know, and they, they, they try to get something over on us because they've got a couple of million barrels of oil or something. I've never understood why we don't just go in and say, you know what, we fucking own your country, now get the fuck out of here. 
You know? Yeah, and but you gotta exactly look at it from fuck off situation. of Blood's point of huh? view. You gotta look at it a little bit from fuck off of Blood's point of view, too. Where they're just sort of like... I mean, when you have your... every That's sort of what these guys were. They were their own little, you know, duchy of Grand Fenwick. And <laughs> fucking... Have their, you know, they have their own... But, I mean, that's how people are. People have their own, you know, in their their country... And the United, and I mean the United States, yes, is the biggest and greatest country in the world. But it's like, you know, that's so. To them, you know, okay, they might want to acknowledge that, but you don't want to. You don't want to acknowledge that. You know, people want to think that, even though the United States is the biggest and the greatest country in the world, they've got. You know, people with that nationalistic feeling want to have some reason that their country is the greatest too. So they'll do all sorts of fucking crazy stuff, or do like the you know, Akhmudjinam Javas in Iran, right? Where where he saber rattles all the time and says outrageous things and says, "Oh, you know, I'll kick your ass in if we ever get in a war and stuff like that," which is. You know, obvious bullshit, but you know, it makes him look good to the people in his country, and it it makes him look like he's standing up to us. And you know, and it's not as much like, oh, we don't want to fuck with this guy's. It's like, oh, it would look really bad if we just, you know, wiped him off the face of the earth or whatever. Well, well let me let me put it a different way. That that's fine. That that politi- uh what do you call it? Diplom- diplomacy bullshit. That's fine. If Picard and his people had arrived at this planet because they wanted to collect the native fucking tapestries or something for some right. know, space Smithsonian right uh, cultural exchange and yeah yeah they're and there just to meet a fucking vaccine to save millions, millions of, of people. people. So it's time to beam down a full fucking security force and say. All right, look, you fucking assholes. We've had enough of this bullshit. We need this vaccine. I'm not fucking around. And put the phaser to the guy's head and say, where the fuck is the vaccine? I'm going to blow your goddamn primitive brains out right, right. now. And I don't have time for your fucking bullshit. And, and You've you been know, sitting in orbit for 20... That's the other thing. They sit in... You know, okay. He gets advice from... I think it's Riker. That, you know, maybe we should just cool our heels. Maybe we should wait. Okay, I, I'll sort of half-ass buy that. Right. Not real. My instinct is a Kirk instinct, which is they snagged one of my people. Let's beam down there and kick their asses. That's my cap. That would be my captaincy. That would be my captain's decision. However, I can see where cooler heads sometimes should prevail. Well, I, I, I think I like his reaction was perfect. I think I, I would have done what he what he did, which is he just basically fired off a few warning shots real close to him to show. Look, right. that was basically Picard was communicating look we can fucking unmake you if we wanted to we have superior firepower and he knew it but the guy also knew that the federation he probably had sussed out that the federation wasn't the kind of you know it wasn't like the romulans or something like that you know that we weren't gonna just wipe them out you know that we were he he was looking at our ethics and our way of doing things and working it to his advantage off his because he was a con man sort of right. character, so but, but that's but, that's sort of what you know. I mean, I, that's sort of what I would have done with Picard too. But at that point, Picard didn't know what this guy was like. 
If I would have known what that guy was like right at the beginning, he would have been like... But to me, there's there's a big fucking difference between... All right, let's all calm down and take a breather yeah. here and think this through logically and waiting 24 fucking and hours like, in orbit. And being I mean, like they, they could have they could have gang raped her, chopped her into teeny tiny bits, put her in a trash bag and dumped her by the fucking interstate in 24 hours. Well, I mean, the, the, the thought the thought of his people. The thought occurred to him, but it was dismissed this way. You know, do you think they'll harm her and Counselor Troy goes, "No, I don't think they'll harm her at all." You know, so so basically, Counselor Troy, whether she'd picked it up from vibes off them or just from studying their culture, knew that they probably weren't going to hurt her, but that, you know, it was a sort of, you know, it was, um, oh, what do they call it? Posturing. You know, it was a form right. of posturing and, and, but that's just so, you know, I mean, okay, it's, it's Star Trek, so the captain always really trusts his his top officers in their opinion, and just for the sake of brevity of story, he can go okay. So we won't worry. We won't worry about the option that they're you know that they're serving her up as stew right now or something <laughs> right. like that. You know, as you know, let's eat our enemy and learn something about them. Okay, you know, fry her up. You know, so, but. I don't know. As I, I said, it, they cover. They, it's like the Swamp Thing comics. They cover a lot of ground in the forty-two minutes that, right, that each yeah. episode is. They throw a lot of stuff in, and and you know, so so they can. Th- so with stuff like this, if it's kind of thin, the logic's kind of thin. You got so much stuff flying around that you don't notice it as much till you stop to think about it. So. I don't know. I mean, long story short, not the best episode. Pro- actually, probably one of the weakest episodes, but still not, bad. not a complete stinker. It's, I mean, well, I, it's very Trekky. That's the thing. It's got Trek atmosphere. The cheesy. What's cheesy about it is cheesy in a Star Trek way. So I, I that to me, I don't know. It's it's. I can't watch this stuff totally objectively. Right, no, I don't even know that. if I want to, you know. Right. I mean, to to just sort of objectively analyze it is hard because it's so ingrained. Even the next generation, which is sort of weird, it's sort of stealth like that because I didn't really think about it as much right. as the original series. But, you know, when I go into it, I just go into that Star Trek phase. So I'm ready to accept the inherent weaknesses and sometimes those inherent weaknesses you know are harder and harder are harder to stomach than other ones and sometimes they go down awesome but if it delivers that star trek feel it's successful to me you know it wasn't like ah i don't want to ever see that one again although i'm not gonna although i'm not gonna cue that one up in the near future you know it's one of my favorites either but um there's probably worse. I'm really looking forward to when we get later on in it when this, because I never saw any of the, the Picard is a Borg story stuff. Oh wow! Oh, I, you're in for a treat. Man. I missed that whole last part up until the last, and I watched the last episode because it's like, oh, I gotta watch the last episode. So I'm really and always thinking, well, I'll always have a chance to watch them again, and now I'll have to. So I'm really looking forward to that. But I'm liking this. I'm. A lot of people say this first season is 
really weak, but I'm enjoying it. So I don't think it's so much that it's really weak as that it's this is when they were gaining their feet, gaining their identity, figuring out who they were and, and what exactly yeah, they were going to do. And it is. It's a little awkward, but you know, you you have you know, you have uh, probably the greatest disparity between you know, really really weak episodes and then some pretty good episodes. So, I mean, but you know, by no means do I agree with with fans and people I've heard say, "Oh, this first season just totally sucks," you know, because it doesn't. There's some really good episodes. Oh, not at all. Uh, you know, for for one thing, the 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 episode that finishes out this season, I think, is one of the best of the entire series. So I'm really looking forward to that when we get there. But uh, you know, that's that's a ways down the road. But well, how often do you get to see actual science fiction on TV? You know, or anywhere for that matter, outside of books, you know. Not much Most anymore. stuff is action or fantasy or exactly. some sort of weird hybrid-y thing. But very, very little sci-fi, you know. An idea and then put into the future as an allegory for the present or past. Or... Well, that's, that's a good way to wrap this episode up because it kind of owes all the way back to the beginning of the episode when I was talking about having rewatched the 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 J.J. Abrams film, you know, that, that was probably the, the biggest thing is that as, as, you know, I can enjoy the new film, but ultimately I will always really regret the loss of the science fiction element of right. Star Trek. Cause you know, as cool as the action and the, and the slam bang blow up it shit hasn't been in the movies is, in a long time. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yeah, I can't. I can't lay that solely at the feet of J.J. Abrams. You're right. The the sci-fi elements. The, the the next generation ones at the beginning really tr- sort of tried to almost do that in that one episode or the one episode, the one movie, Insurrection. I think it was. Was it which one was the really cheap one that was sort of like a two-parter episode of the TV show? I liked that because it was I, more I don't know. like which, a, what, what was the story? It was the story of the people on the planet that were it was basically like the Fountain of Youth. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't think, yeah, you, you, that is the one you're thinking of. But it's funny you should say that because I don't find that one to be like cheap or cheesy or anything. I well, it, 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 they obviously there were wasn't a lot of the special effects were. It was basically, yeah, it was more. I like that one too. That's that's the only one I actually liked because it was sort of everybody was like, that's like watching a two part episode of the TV show, and I'm like, I'm happy with that. Right, because there's no more new TV show coming out. You know, this is hey, this is one that I haven't seen before, and it's and it's amped up a little bit for the screen, but it wasn't like a big slam bang. You know, the universe is at stake. Here's Kirk's or or, or here's Picard's death enemy, or they're going to absorb everybody into the Borg, or the whole continuity of time is going to be fucked up. It was just a story and an idea. Right, and that and that sort of try and that got panned, and then after that they were like all horror action movies. Right, and uh, well, I don't care what anybody says. I I think that was their their strongest effort. Yeah, you know, the the next gen casts. I think that was their best film. I really oh do. definitely it definitely was because it was definitely you know they I mean they were their characters in the other movies. You know Picard is not a gun. Wielding, screaming, jumping, shooting, killing tons of people sort of guy. I mean, he is because he did it in the movies, but... Yeah, but, you know, the the 
Cerebral Picard of the TV show, I guess, is too risky for the for the screen. And mm-hmm. it's just sad. It's just sad that Star Trek always gets fucked like that. Somebody, I saw some comment, I had to school some guy on YouTube why I do it. I don't even know why I even bother. But they were all griping about, you know, how everybody, you know, people griping about the new Star Trek and... And someone was like, I don't know why they didn't make one, you know, like the the first Star Trek movie, you know, that was like, that had a sci-fi story, but still had the special effects and action, but still had a strong story. And they were all like, well, maybe they didn't do that because, you know, that first Star Trek movie was just a big flop. And I was just like, do you even know what you're talking about? Right, exactly. (laughs) Because... Yeah, the critics didn't like it, but here's the figure. Oh, that's right. It made record-breaking amounts of money. Oh, whoops. Well, you know, what the fuck? So, and, and that's that's the thing about Hollywood is it's like, oh, money talks. Bullshit walks. Money talks. You make money with something. You know what the fucking, one of the biggest money makers this weekend was? Alvin and the Chipmunks. The squeak fucking will. Oh, God. The squeak will. Alvin and the Chipmunks oh a squeakle. Avatar was number one, and that that's deserving. But for the fucking so so there'll be a third Alvin and the Chipmunks fucking movie, <laughs> right? So Star Trek the motion picture, you know, fucking fucking asshole Emmerich makes all these movies. All the critics say these are pieces of shit, or they say, or it's a guilty pleasure, or whatever. Anyway, it's acknowledged these movies are fucking a big steaming heap of dung. And they always make money every fucking time, so he makes another movie. But with Star Trek, it's like they just fucking hate Star Trek. Because the motion picture got bad reviews, but their fucking coke-snorting, money-grubbing Hollywood psychotypes, and it makes all this record money, don't they go, oh, well, yeah, the critics didn't like it, but I guess people are going to go see a fucking three-hour slow-moving, you know, intelligent sci-fi film. No, they go, okay, let's jack down their budget and make it more action style, which actually worked for Wrath of Khan, but at the same time, why is Star Trek always treated like that? Why is every time... Yeah, even you've, got, when a, they make you've money, got a good point, actually, because now that you think about it, you know... Pisses me that, that same argument doesn't apply when you look at some brainless fucking Asshole series fucking shit of, thing that you never want yeah. to see again and then there's five sequels to it. Yeah, yeah. And every time at, it comes out the critics one of those fucking slasher flicks like like Freddy or Jason or one of those. Now, you know, with apologies, I know that there's people out there that enjoy those films, but at the same rate, they're fun on the level of a, a carnival fan, ride. Don't, don't try to tell me that it's fucking high art or something. Those films are essentially fucking brainless yeah, fun and meant you know? to be. Yeah, right, exactly, and meant to be treated as such. But, but you know, they get universally panned by the critics too, because the critics, you know, they're looking for the next fucking English patient too. You know, so they'll see something like you know Freddy versus Godzilla and go, "Well, and this he, fuck movie sucks ass." And even but if they did like it, they wouldn't want to admit it. Right, print. but there'll be a sequel because they make oodles of fucking money. So right. why did that same formula work for? For Star Trek, the motion picture where it makes, you know, buku bucks, and the pr- critics hate it. Yet the studio goes, "Well, fuck the critics." You know, we I won't make this for the cr- critics anyway. I have a conspiracy theory about that. Uh oh, 
it was the alien? Why. No, it was Roddenberry. Ah. They fucking hated him. Fuck him, man. We'll let him make money, but we'll have we'll make him fucking work for every fucking penny that he's gonna get because he's such a fucking asshole. Because he he's always trying to do this this sort of shit and this sort of shit, and he's always kind of he was always a pain in the ass and a thorn in the side because he was trying to he was always trying to keep his vision as much of his vision as he could get in. And he was also also trying to get his name on everything so he'd get a bigger cut of the pie, too. I'm sure that pissed him off. But I think he was kind of a sticky personality. And over all the troubles they had getting the, you know, the TV show slash motion picture out and all that, that they were just like, fuck Star Trek. You know, we'll make money with it, but, you know, we're not going to let Roddenberry fucking have it easy and now that he's got now that he and and Major Barrett Roddenberry are gone you know I mean he would have had a shit fit over the new Star Star Trek he would have loved the cast he would have loved everything about it but he would have fucking if he would have done whatever he could I think it was that goddamn letter writing campaign to get Star Trek back on the air, back at the original TV series level, where I think they always blamed him for it, and whether he did it or not, who knows? But you know, I don't know. But that, does that still answer the question of my 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 thing? What I'm what I'm getting at is if the studios, because I've always gotten the impression that to the studio, Star Trek was schlock. Star Trek was just as much schlock as. You know the Friday the Thirteenth series as the Nightmare series right. as as any schlocky thing that they put they out. They don't in distinguish the from Star Trek, Star Wars, Frankenstein, Freddy right. the Blob. It's all just exactly. fucking Conan the Barbarian. It's so all that's you know, shit. so when when Jason Part eighty seven comes out, makes a hundred million dollars, and all the critics go, "This fucking movie's a disgrace." The studio just goes, ah, fuck those assholes. We didn't make this for critical acclaim anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Star Trek, which they've always treated like a redheaded stepchild, you know, comes out, makes all this money, and the critics fucking hate it. For some reason, they listened to the critics when it was right. Star Trek. Why? <laughs> That's what I don't understand. Why was Star Trek different? Maybe it was because it was a little more expensive. Like the Freddy movies and those things, they can pump those out for zero budget. So there's not as much risk making a sequel. So if you were if you were to budget the sequel of the Star Trek the Motion Picture, which was like horribly over budget and it's like probably the most wasn't it like the most expensive movie at the time, Possibly. like at that at that point. And you know to 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 keep. Risking that amount of money would probably give so many people heart attacks that they always did the law of diminishing returns. Like, okay, we'll give you know you get less and less, you get less and less time and less and less budget for every movie, and the actors never get cheaper. You know, so the, you know more and more of the budget just gets taken up by the actors, and less and less gets is available for special effects and then you get Star Trek 5 right which looks like it was printed off a Kodak you know 35 millimeter still camera at points right and 
I understand that, but I think, you know, I mean, it was just Star Trek was one of those things where, you know, they there's sort of the, I think it's a myth the whole thing of like the studio didn't know what it had with Star Trek and you know and all the fan you know and the the ratings system was fucked up which it completely is was and is and you know so they didn't know what who was watching it and there was definitely this huge movement of people watching it but they just ignored them because they didn't believe it because they believed just the ratings I just can't think it's just that because that while it was happening there were so many people talking about it happening going look at all these people that love Star you know this huge movement of people that love Star Trek and stuff you know those executives were reading that shit and they were probably right. thinking to themselves ah we'll just sit and wait and see and see what happens it can only be good publicity but I'm still ain't put, pumping more money into it or whatever but I still I think it I think Roddenberry just pissed somebody off and they said, fuck the money. Which, if you piss an executive off enough to say, fuck the money, that's pretty good. But that's the kind of way people like Roddenberry piss people off. Because he sounds like he was... He sounds like he was... I mean, he, uh, he created Star Trek, but he had to be sort of a brutal prick to maintain what he got out of it you know right and he also sounds like he was really good at getting his name on everything to get as much money so there was a little there was a little bit of the sideshow huckster to him Mm -hmm. but at the same time he had a he was truly into the vision of it you know i mean there's just no reason why anybody if he was just into the money aspect of star trek there's no reason why he would have let himself have as much creative control as he wanted, you know. He wouldn't have had to have been so obsessive about trying to keep what he wanted in and what he wanted out, out, and and making it. That's why I think with the next generation, that's why Picard was definitely more Roddenberry, you know, had a chance to sit down and really think about it and go, okay, what do I want my ideal Federation starship captain to be like? Mm-hmm. And he thought about it, and he thought, well, it'd probably be a little boring on TV, but you know what? It is Star Trek. They'll give me some leeway. If he doesn't get accepted, I'll go on the talk shows, and I'll explain his character, and I'll win him over to my side. And then he went with it. And it worked, because he's fucking Gene Roddenberry, and he knew just what to do with that shit. You know, he had... Star Trek was his fucking thing the universe wanted him to create or whatever so i don't know we'll have to come back to that yeah as, this as could go the, on for hours well no I, I, it's not I, i'm not trying to cut you off i'm just see i i disagree to a certain extent you know you said that you know he was gene roddenberry and it worked because you know granted he he got his series and he got his season and all that of 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 next gen but if memory serves, and I don't know whether it was health, I, I don't remember exactly the story, but my my recollection is that pretty much he did the first season and that was it. After the first season, he, he kind of backed off and he wasn't, oh, he yeah. wasn't hands-on. No, but I'll I bet you... I can't help but think that that was because the the first season, I think, kind of squeaks by. Because he he was given a promise of, of certain things, and I think if it wasn't for that promise, I mean, if they were going by today, like for example, 
If Star Trek The Next Generation had been a Fox show, they'd have been canceled six shows in. Six or seven shows, yeah, exactly. Because it wasn't popular. Because, you know, the, the, the... the audience they thought they were coming with, the, the original Trekkies and Trekkers, fucking hated the show for the most part. And then the other people that it was hoping to win in, most of them were weren't lukewarm. Get, you know, so, what's that? We're lukewarm. But guess yeah. but guess what? It sunk in as soon as oh, yeah, it started rerunning. It, it, it took time and it, and it did sink in, but I think without that buffer in place, whatever that original contract, whatever the original deal signing thing had been to assure him at least getting the first season out there, I don't know that it would have made it. And to me, and I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I mean, I love Gene Roddenberry. You know, I mean, look look at all that we owe to him as, as fans. It's just the series didn't get good until he went away. Right. I mean, well, honestly. I'm not saying his influence is, is was necessarily good all the time or most of the time even. Right. But I'm just saying, man, the guy was dedicated because he really. Oh yeah. And even when he wasn't in the series, I'll bet you that if he didn't like something, I'll bet you he got at least got word to some, you know, fire fired off a testy letter to one of the actors going, I wouldn't have improvised that line, you know, he would never say right. that, you know, a Starfleet captain would never do that. But I think he works better, to, at least to my mind, I think Roddenberry works better in, in Next Generation when he was hands-off, yet still alive, well, I so think- that people could look at, at what they thought you know, they could go to him and say, "What do you think of what this?" What do you or, think? You know, yeah, he was there as a sounding board. Where, or whatever. where do you think we should go with this? Yeah, you know, and to, I think to also keep them straight oh, and to keep them, um, to keep them in line with his vision and all that. Because you, you'll notice, as soon as he died, that's to, to my mind. Yeah. Way, that's when Star Trek started to go straight downhill because then not long after he died that's when they green light fucking deep space nine they'd start which, making you know, it like I, I regular know I'm tv shows people off because i keep harping about this but god damn it deep space nine for all the good qualities that show does have would never ever have fucking gotten green lighted without roddenberry and nobody's ever going to convince me differently that show and I'm, I'm not saying it's total shit there were elements of it that i did enjoy by the end of the series it had finally gotten good however that show is rough as shit. It's really rough. Of all the incarnations of Star Trek, that's the roughest one, and it's the furthest one away from Roddenberry's vision. And that show never would have flown while he was alive. It probably it shouldn't have flown after he was well, I think he, in my opinion. But. He does what a lot of people in his position with his sort of dynamic did is I think he passed along a lot of his responsibilities to his wife since right. they were such like close partners and they, they you know they probably knew exactly the way each other thought and she would know you know somebody could say I don't know what would Gene think about this and she could go blah you know he would not like this at all for this and this and this reason you know so I think when he got older he probably you know a lot of times when you get old and you're kind of a chubby guy like him you get health issues and you don't think about Star Trek as much because you're just like uh, you know, I got to deal with, with whatever. You know, as yeah. you get, and and she was a bit younger than him, so you know, she was able to, I think, fill in a lot of the gaps. 
Right. Well, anyway, I digress. I digress. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, we're running a little long, so we're just going to jettison the fuck out of here. Listen next week, because we'll have Comic Monthly Monday number 15, where we'll have some Swamp Thing comic. Uh-huh. We'll have some Walking Dead comic books. All kinds of comic book shit all over the place. <laughs> so tune in for that. And tune in for our episode. We don't know when or where, but it's going to be real soon. So keep an eye out for our Star Trek 2 and 3 episode. It should be a humdinger. With special guests. Surprise guests. TBA. And then we can just cover with that. Excellent. I'm glad the internet hasn't gone that far. <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.